1: Or Whatever
0: Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up, and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother, Wesley. Today we're talking about a Netflix original film from 2020, The Devil All the Time. The devil. All the time. <laughs> All, the time.
1: All the time.
0: All the time, the devil. Yep. All the time, that, that devil. That
1: pesky devil.
0: An Antonio Campos movie, written by and directed by, right?
1: Yep. Strange, before we get into the movie itself, this Antonio Campos guy is part of Borderline Films, which I've been watching for a while. Sean Durkin in 2011 directed Martha Marcy May Marlene, and he said after that, after it was a big hit, he's like, Yeah, I'm not going to direct anything for a while because I have a group of buddies. We are filmmakers and we all have an agreement to support each other. So I he's not going to direct another film until his buddies all have a chance to direct their feature debuts. And I looked and Sean Durkin has another one coming out this year called The Nest. So it's curious. Uh, Sean Durkin is not a producer on this film, but Compost produced Sean Durkin's debut and the other guy, Josh Mond. So it's a like a filmmaking family that I don't see very often.
0: Like, weren't collectives all the rage in, like, 2010?
1: I don't know. I think they originated in 2008. But I was frustrated because someone has a promising film debut, and then you have to wait for five other people to direct films before we get to see anything else from a promising director. Nine years between features for Durkin. And Antonio Campos, I think this is his biggest one.
0: It's pretty big. It's got a big cast.
1: Very big. An awful lot of people. A lot of recognizable people.
0: A lot of non-American people playing Southern people.
1: That seems to be the thing. There's some draw, right? Or I guess I should say drawl. But maybe <laughs> maybe the Southern accent is simple and easy to affect.
0: I didn't know before I saw this film that Jason Clarke was actually Australian.
1: Is he really? I didn't know that either.
0: Because this is his typecast. He's like the backwoods... Mud boundiest lawlessy guy ever.
1: <laughs> or, well, I remember him as playing John Connor in the ill fated Terminator Genesis.
0: Where he's also an American guy.
1: Yeah, but he's definitely not backwoodsy. He's definitely the leader of the resistance.
0: What did you think of his performance in Pet Cemetery?
1: It was fine. I think he's an unusual looking guy in the same way that Harry Melling is.
0: So, Jason Clark, Eliza Scanlon, Australian, Pattinson, Melling, and Holland, British. Even Riley Keough, I think, are all not-American actors. Right,
1: and definitely, uh, and and Pennywise, Bill Skarsgård, is Swedish.
0: Yes, I think Pennywise is his biggest role.
1: Oh, far and away. But he's also in Castle Rock about Stephen King's universe. Castle Rock is the town, I think it's Derry adjacent, and Castle Rock embodies a lot of the different characters from Stephen King movies and shows. The devil all the time felt like that. It felt like this is a town where this is like the epicenter of religious murderers and crazy people. (laughs) And it felt like at at just about two hours, the devil all the time felt like three seasons of an alternate version of Stephen King's Castle Rock. Like three seasons worth of character (laughs) development and evolution and spanning time decades and wars and characters all intertwined. And then they all murder each other.
0: I felt the same way, except I thought that it was like one season of Fargo all mashed up together. I could see the Stephen King elements, I could even see some Coen Brothers or P.T. Anderson, except those films are more absurd, whereas this was very grounded.
1: Uh, grounded, I guess, in a sense that nobody has magical powers.
0: P.T. Anderson characters, at least, feel larger than life or a little bit more distinct, like these characters, and maybe it was the time, want to fit in, but they're in a caricature-ish environment. I don't know.
1: I do feel like the P.T. Anderson world is a little bit twitchier. I think there are signatures that you can latch on to every character that he has, at least his main characters. They have ticks, or they have distinguishing kind of quirks I guess is better whereas devil all the time everyone played it pretty straight and not crazy not overly not wild-eyed manic they weren't seeing visions they weren't frenetic killers they were just sort of in their own head and pandering to or catering to or allowing for the devil which resides in all of us all the time would you know their vessels and the devil would eventually come out and they would kill people but nobody was hammy or chewy in this movie
0: And a tone set by Tom Holland, who really is the thread that connects all of these characters. Yeah,
1: a thread that doesn't show up for 45 minutes.
0: Hmm, good point. I think there was some generational son pays for the sins of father theme going on there.
1: And carries on the traditions.
0: That we had to get the backstory in order to have the full context for Tom Holland's Arvin character.
1: But isn't Arvin more or less an extension of Willard? I mean, Willard wasn't an outright murderer, but he definitely killed that dog, which was unforgivable. And I was like, okay, Pennywise needs to die now. But when Tom Holland comes along, he's no less a murderer. He just has a slightly different moral center and that he kills for a reason, ostensibly but he's still in small town murder town and is affected by the murder bug that's got everybody.
0: They both kill to protect people. Both father and son kill to protect people they love. That's why Willard kills Jack the dog. Oh. You just can't kill you can't kill animals. It just makes you a bad person. It, it makes, makes you a, you a bad worse person. person than killing people. If
1: you yeah, if you kill a dog, don't crucify it cuz that makes you a terrible person. <laughs>
0: Let's just talk about all of the anguish that Arvin had to endure. His mom's sick. She dies. His dad kills his dog and crucifies him. Then his dad kills himself. Then his sister mistakenly kills herself. And then he gets kidnapped by murderous serial killers who he kills. And then he kills the murderous serial killer's sister.
1: If you're not murdering someone else, you're murdering yourself. But you forget what brings some of the better elements into his life. His stepsister only came into his life because her dad murdered her mom and then went insane and then got murdered.
0: (laughs) I was like, oh, so this is what it's like growing up in Ohio, Brian.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Knock him stiff. And I I don't even want to look to see if this is a real place. So speaking of that, I guess uh, the the, (laughs) the murder all the time, the devil all the time is a novel written by a guy. (laughs) You can find his name on IMDb because the author of the novel is the ambiguous narrator. And I was like, who's narrating this movie? Found out after the fact it's the author of the novel. Oh,
0: no kidding. Donald Ray Pollock.
1: Yeah, Kelly was suggesting that it might have been Arvin grown up. And I was like, if he lives that long, but also he affects a really deep drawl, if that were the case. Mm. But he was disembodied, I guess, as the omniscient author can tend to be. This movie very much wanted to be its book. And if gaps were too big to bridge, you know, visually, then we would do it through... The narration
0: Well, I was okay with the narration because the literature of it was actually quite good, not to mention the delivery, which was excellent. It was like Sam Elliott level narration. And also, I'm tying together all the God themes and it was wholly appropriate that there was an omniscient God like narrator for this story.
1: Get it? wholly appropriate. Yeah, no, I got it. Okay.
0: So where I typically find in the narrator device to be like a crutch. And to be a little bit of a cheat, it was rather appropriate for this, given the God stuff and omniscient stuff and because the delivery was so good.
1: Yeah, I like the delivery. Everyone's performance in this movie, I felt, was solid. There wasn't anyone out of place, I don't think. As much as they looked strange, they definitely looked appropriate in Small Town Murder Town. Harry Melling as Roy, the preacher, was nuts, as preachers tend to be. Sorry. But uh, he was wild-eyed in the right way and wasn't a cartoon same case for pattinson's reverend teagarden who was kind of an astonishing accent and portrayal and but definitely the fire you would expect from a preacher and the the pomp and oration skills but not over the top
0: this is a ballsy role for pattinson i was shocked he's a leading man and he's taking this villainous adulterous preacher role
1: Yeah, Bill Skarsgård said this is definitely going to put to rest the whole Twilight thing and and his range and ability beyond that. We've talked about this before. Somebody told Robert Pattinson, look, if you're going to have any future, don't go for the safe, big tentpole, big budget Hollywood fair. You'll very quickly burn out. Find the roles that are appealing to you. Find the roles that speak to you and go with those regardless of the size or the glamour of the role. So he can get down and dirty and he'll earn his respect even as a supporting character.
0: We talked about that in our The Lighthouse review, and yet I feel like this role is even more brave than his lighthouse assistant keeper role. Because The Lighthouse was super indie fair, and I don't know how many people are actually watching it on Amazon, but it seems like it's a little... Like, you kind of have to be looking for it, you have to stumble upon it, and... This feels gutsier because it's a Netflix original, it's really popular right now, like some people are probably seeing Robert Pattinson, the Bat, in this role in a weird kind of very supporting character, icky role for the first time.
1: Oh, that's an interesting observation. Yeah. If you've seen Twilight and and things like that, then all of a sudden a movie comes along and then all of a sudden Robert Pattinson shows up, who uh, I wasn't even aware was in this movie until I watched it, and to have an off-the-wall role like he does, people would have been blindsided because they didn't expect it coming. I don't think anybody saw this movie coming.
0: Yeah, there's not a lot lot of P&A, and maybe it's because we're not out and about in the wild seeing advertisements, and we're not watching television and getting fed ads, but it does seem to have come out of the blue, and yet people are tracking it, people are watching it.
1: Well, it's a different kind of spread, right? Netflix will throw a high-profile movie up there with high-profile stars to bring viewers in, and just the illusion of being free content to click with no additional charge, why not? Let's give it a shot.
0: So there's big actors with big name roles outside of this movie in this kind of smaller movie ensemble cast with Tom Holland kind of leading the charge, and I was surprised to see him in this role, too, because to me, he felt like naked Tom Holland. They stripped him so thoroughly of his spider man which made him feel like more of a, just a kind of a scrawny kid underdog.
1: I would venture to say of all the big stars in this movie, he is the least literally naked person among all of them. <laughs> Never once takes off his shirt. I guess he's supposed to look like a little kid, but Spider-Man is pretty jacked and he's physical in this role and shockingly beats the crap out of people in the same way his dad did before him.
0: Yeah, I like how he drop kicked the door in that auto garage before he punches the dudes in in the paper bags. (laughs) And likewise I think he kicks open the door and like sends Jason Clark flying into the woods before he shoots them twice in the head.
1: You gotta be careful with Spider Man. He's a little dude, but he's he's wiry.
0: Don't you think that he jumped the gun a little bit on the serial killers in the in the woods? I mean, how did he know?
1: Well, he's got spidey sense, number one. Number two, everyone's a murderer and murder and people what's the expression? Like can see like or whatever? Sure. A a dog knows smells. It's that's not the right one, but uh, you know what I mean. Like if you're a murderer, you can sense other (laughs) murderous intent. But we knew, and there was a lot of tension in that scene because when the when this of course uh, we knew when these elements come together and we've been playing these parallel storylines. The last time we saw them interact, yes, they're connected via degrees of separation via Kevin Bacon or whatever. But the last time all these people were together in any form. Uh, was in the diner in the beginning when Arvin hadn't even been born yet. Right. And then those paths diverge and when they reconverge we're like oh man and so maybe that is the biggest strength of this movie in that the setups were so tangentially related up into a point when they finally converge you can feel the tension because we know what Arvin is capable of and we certainly know what the murder couple is capable of.
0: And the dramatic irony in that we know their connection even though none of them know it.
1: And so that even though Riley Keo is having reservations at that point the wife who maybe doesn't want to murder quite as much anymore when she turns and is kind of relieved in a way that her husband is gone her turn wasn't as drastic or as shocking or implausible because we were so thoroughly set up in the course of the murders how he's steadfast in his murdering uh, desires and she is a little bit more reticent At the same time, we know that Tom Holland is capable of terrible things, especially if he's presented with the choice of being hurt versus defending himself.
0: All I'm saying is just because homeboy's got a gun tucked into the back of his belt doesn't mean he's going to murder you.
1: Yeah, but it's also, I mean, because he didn't outright, yes, he did. He outright pulled out his gun and before Jason Clark had a chance to draw down on him, he had already kicked the door open and shot him in the head. Yep. Yeah, but murderers sense murderers is all I'm saying.
0: The coincidences really start to mount and add up in this film. The narrator says, I think at the top, he says, coincidence or God, or it doesn't matter. And I think the filmmakers were saying it doesn't matter.
1: I mean, you have to understand my confusion. This is restraint that I'm showing right now because I paused the movie several times and I would turn to Kelly and be like, okay, so Pennywise is Spider-Man's dad, right? And Spider-Man's adopted sister and the Batman. And I just, I never bothered to learn these names. This was like the Truman show. You can't escape this world. It made me think of a video game. Here's a video game where you're a serial killer and you don't know it. But everyone else in this world is also a serial killer. So it's like a loose battle royale where at the end only one serial killer survives. So get to (laughs) killing. Right. It's like a it's like a metropolis where everyone's a superhero except everyone's a murderer. And so when you meet another murderer, inevitably one of you is going to die until the ultimate murderer emerges.
0: Except. You're not the murderer. You are the eye in the sky watching the murdering play out.
1: Oh, it's way more fun to be the murderer.
0: But we're not the murderers, right? We're the, we're the audience and the god layers are strong. There's the omnipresent narrator. We have so much dramatic irony, so much more knowledge than these characters have going into all of these scenes. All of them are possessed by God or the devil or it doesn't matter. And your analogy for the story holds up, but... Our place in it is one of removal and omniscience.
1: In that way, it does feel like a P.T. Anderson movie. Things happen because things are going to happen and it's inevitable.
0: If it's set up correctly, then it's inevitable. Yeah.
1: I'm hesitant to get into the God stuff because it's demonstrated that faith misguided or unchecked turns sour. People do a lot of terrible things in the name of God in this movie.
0: Yeah. I mean, the hypocrisy is rampant. It's weird I don't think this movie is about God or faith at all. This movie is about what Lee says. Some people are just born to be buried. Like, these people's lives seem so meaningless to me.
1: That begs the inevitable, the uh, the terrible question that I came up with at the end of this movie, which is why. We populate a world with characters. They slowly pick each other off. At the end, one is left standing, who is no less arguably murder capable than anyone else. This is my and point. The question is why
0: this is exactly my point. It doesn't matter. Who do
1: we love? Do we want Arvin to live? Do we want when Arvin gets in the van? Do we want him to be okay when he starts to fall asleep?
0: Were you worried that the driver was going to hack him in the neck with a screwdriver?
1: Well, people have asserted that this was his ultimate deliverance. And the driver was Jesus, a Jesus looking figure. Kelly threw up her hands immediately and is like, Charles Manson is in this movie. (laughs) And that VW bus and that color is exactly what Charles Manson drove. Now, was he in rural Ohio? I don't think so. But if you're in a superhuman murder town, small town murder town, and everybody's a murderer and you can't get off the Truman Show murder island, then who better to show up than Charles Manson? Because if he had passed... You know, if he had said, well, that that guy looks kind of sketchy and he had waited, Hitler would have shown up and picked him up next.
0: Charles Manson or Jesus. It doesn't matter.
1: But does it doesn't matter because people put pictures of Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan up all the time. And you get memes where old women will hang pictures of, of Obi-Wan Kenobi on their wall because they think it's Jesus and the picture stays there for decades. <laughs>
0: no, they don't. Yep. Ewan McGregor as Obi Wan doesn't even have like the long straggly classic hair. Sure, he does. No, he doesn't. He's got the little buzz cut with the with the ducktail.
1: No, that's in the the Phantom Menace. Check him out in Attack of the Clones. Ooh, and Revenge of the Sith. He's totally Jesus in that movie.
0: With the robes and everything. Yeah, <laughs>
1: there's multiple layers to the why question. Um, I can see this as a long, sprawling novel where you don't have to ask why. It's it's why because it's why. But putting the movie together based on this novel and who saw the cinematic vision of this movie having read the book, why did they feel that this was a movie that deserved to be on screen? What is the rhyme or reason to everybody murdering everybody else? And what drew these high-profile actors into roles? Is it because Robert Pattinson was like, ooh, I can totally play against type and be a creepy, smarmy dude, but it won't matter as much because I certainly won't be the only creepy smarmy dude in this movie but i get a chance to play a murderer in a way that's not the standout shocking murderer because i live in a town full of murderers
0: well he's a he's an adulterer
1: he murdered think, her innocence
0: all right fair enough he's a murderer too projects like this get momentum who i don't know who signed first but once tom holland's on or once robert pattinson's on even in a supporting role things get going and people sign up i mean jason yep. clark as many movies as he's done, and as high profile as they may have been, he's still a character actor.
1: Yes, I venture to say that most of them are. Tom Holland, I wasn't distracted by his Spider-Maniness. Um, in fact, he does a really good American accent, aside from the the drawl, the Midwestern twang. And to see him in this kind of role is encouraging. He's supposed to be Nathan Drake of the Uncharted video game series. And you wonder, because he has the physicality, certainly, as Spider-Man, but he's a small dude and he plays a high school, he can still play a high school guy. Yeah,
0: he's a senior in this.
1: Yeah. Like Michael J. Fox or, or Ralph Macchio can play those roles forever. It, was, it didn't feel like as daring a chance for him to take uh, as Robert Pattinson, as much as oh, this guy can actually act convincingly so that he doesn't take me out of the movie.
0: Harry Milling had a great harmony voice. That was pretty Coen brothers E, where they did the little duet. Oh, yeah. I'm just talking about all the different ranges we saw.
1: But that's definitely very Cohen's Brothers, yeah. Where well, we'll stop down in all the madness for a, a musical number.
0: <laughs> like quite a nice one, actually.
1: Very pleasant. Very <laughs> inside Lewin Davis.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Did he just abandon his disabled friend brother? cousin on the side of the road
1: oh yeah we never saw that guy again did we but he didn't last too long after that so maybe the disabled friend was the best off maybe getting cast on the side of the road and ostracized from murder town is the way to go
0: that or he was left to die
1: he grew up to be the narrator to tell the tale
0: he was the one storyline not tied up and the lee storyline was pretty thin the two the gang mobster boss the two boss murders in the house by Lee? The ones that the
1: Winter Soldier killed just because he assumed that at some point they were going to kill him anyway? Those were
0: a little unnecessary, right?
1: Well, yeah, just in general. I thought it was an introduction for the gun, and I told Kelly about the rule that if you introduce a gun in Act 1, it has to go off in Act 3, right? In this case, there were a couple of guns. So I was surprised when Sebastian Stan, a.k.a. the Winter Soldier, cast aside the handgun that was European and and different and required special bullets and, I guess, untraceable in favor of the shotgun to hunt down spider-man but you knew someone was getting murdered with that luger right
0: oh absolutely best gift i ever got
1: (laughs) yeah and that fight between spider-man and the winter soldier was the second best fight between those two ever in cinema the captain america civil war between spider-man and the winter soldier was better
0: so of the two fights it's the second best (laughs) yep (laughs) the lee story worked least for me he was so tangential And yet they tried to make something of it with his political aspirations and his underworld dealings. The two murders he commits were unnecessary and pretty gratuitous on the assumption that eventually it would come around to get him. His relationship with his sister is very tenuous and tested. And when he goes into the final battle with Arvin, he already knows that his sister is a serial killer or a freaky, at least a freaky deaky. And basically when Arvin sets off for home and Lee is tipped off about Arvin, the last 20 minutes of the film are entirely predictable. At that point, the film was over for me because I was ahead of it, I knew it was happening, and it took 20 minutes to play out.
1: That particular scenario didn't have a lot of weight to it. The other ones did. When Arvin rolls up on Pattinson in the church, I actually didn't know what was gonna happen. Me neither. And and so that had a lot of weight. Uh, Unfortunately, the Arvin uh, Lee confrontation didn't because by that point it was like, well, one of these two is going to because we wrap up all storylines in this movie via murder. And we're definitely not going to lose Spider-Man to murder at this point. So unfortunately, it has to be Bucky. But the. (laughs) (laughs) Did you say Bucky? Yeah, Bucky is the Winter Soldier's real name. Oh, okay. So Sebastian Stan. So
0: back to Pattinson. You didn't know what was going to happen. But what did you think was going to happen? Because I fully thought that the bat was going to prevail.
1: Well, I definitely thought there was going to be more of a confrontation where he was going to throw down. But for him to go in intending he to He does throw him, down.
0: He throws down with the Bible.
1: Tries. He literally throws down the Bible. But for Arvin to go in and have the opportunity to shoot him in the back and then give him a chance to speak or to want to have him put the nail in the, in the coffin himself and then to shoot him anyway, I guess was satisfying in a way. But it, uh, I expected more of a confrontation.
0: I just thought it was the most dynamic scene because I likewise was not ahead of it. I did not know what was going to happen. In fact, I thought the bat would prevail, and I was interested to see where the storyline might go from there.
1: So a lot of the setup paid off well in those respects. Unfortunately, not in the end scene. But also knowing that Mia Vashikovska was going to get was going to die uh, in that they found her body in the woods seven years later or six years later or whatever. You knew she was going to die. I didn't realize how shocking that would be when she went and how much we would see the blood shoot out of her neck and for how long. And the circumstances of her death i was just like well you grow up in small town murder town you're gonna die but i didn't know it was going to be at the hands of her crazy husband anyway i i feel like the setups were enough so that some of the scenes had real weight but not the end and so when it comes to seasons like that and i have to kind of sit through things that i might already know i relish in the other things like how convincing surprisingly convincing tom holland was in this role and how strangely bloated and unglamorous Sebastian Stan looked I mean he played an unglamorous role in I, but I'm really hoping that he did Marlon Brando cotton balls in his cheeks and that some of that pudge was padding because he's the winter soldier for God's sake (laughs) and he wasn't looking so great as Lee
0: he was definitely fat man in a little suit yeah like they purposely put him in that really tight-fitting ill-fitting leather jacket
1: (laughs) but I think he's actually a really fit guy in a fat suit with two small clothes on
0: I think he was supposed to just represent a certain kind of gluttony for for power, and it was personified in his his bearing. And so,
1: how heavy was the symbolism in this movie? The dreaded question: Why?
0: The dreaded question: Why? Which is never a good sign when you're posing that question. And my only answer for it is: It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't and, matter. And the film, but no, the film reinforces that idea. Yeah. That it kind of all doesn't really matter because it kind of all doesn't really amount to anything. It's kind of like a really bleak message that life is that you're born to be buried. And what happens in between doesn't really matter. Is it coincidence? Is it God's will for your life? Or does it really not matter because you die anyway?
1: This is something the sneak would say about drama in general. Like, why would I want to see dark dramas where everyone's just killing each other all the time? Like, why? I
0: say, I definitely had murder fatigue going out <sighs> of this film. I was wearied by it. I was immersed. I was in this world. It was like being in a tank with glass walls, like, way up above your head, like you're in it. But I didn't connect to it. It's like there was no water in it. Like, I didn't feel it. And that's kind of a weird experience because movies are supposed to be immersive in the sense that you're taken to another place and you believe this place and I was there I was in it I believed it but I didn't feel it it didn't move me and ultimately I think it was the fatal flaw of the film and therefore as well done as expertly executed as it was, it's boring. As
1: expertly executed as that immersion metaphor in the box, oh, really? you with, like in it? The box with no water. Pretty good. Hey, hey, hey. As quality. <laughs> uh, there's the question to a lot of dramas. I wouldn't even venture to say that this particular drama had more murders than a lot of other dramas, Fargo included. It just seemed like an awful lot of inevitable murder. And so when it happened, it wasn't really shocking. You know, unfortunately, I think this movie does lose us. And so it gives it less weight. This wasn't a pleasant movie to watch. There was a lot of killing. And typically, sometimes the killing can be, dare I say, fun. Or at least uh, enthralling or exciting. But haters are going to hate. And in The Devil All the Time, murderers are going to murder. And that's just inevitability and you got to be along for the ride. So I struggled with this movie because it was... Well made, it was long and sprawling and ambitious and a period piece, and we covered war and the 50s and the 60s and maybe even into the 70s. But it came down to watchability and emotional engagement. I've come up with a theory recently that movies can be divided into two categories. Movies are either watchers or they're washers. You have to pay close attention because you're enthralled and you sit forward and you're in it, or it's a lot to take in. And the devil all the time was definitely a lot to take in. And so this movie was a washer and you just have to let it wash over you. Say, what do you got? Give it to me. Okay. We're killing. Everybody's killing. Everybody's killing. And uh, let's see who comes out at the end. Who's not killed. Who may be killed by Charles Manson, who may be killed (laughs) and taken home by Jesus. We don't know. But this movie was a washer and not one that effectively washed over me in a way that I was immersed, to use your analogy.
0: Interesting. So it doesn't clear the bar.
1: I really liked watching this, maybe not this movie, but everyone in this movie and inexplicable that they would all show up and put so much effort into what I thought was a whatever movie. There's a lot to admire, but not enough to make it a good movie in the good versus bad sense.
0: I thought for sure that this was going to clear the bar for you. See, I,
1: and this is the, the generalization. There's lots of murder and lots of killing, and it's like Fargo. You love this kind of movie, right? Except it never grabbed me. I wasn't, I didn't have anyone that I could really latch onto. Arvin was damaged enough so that I never thought he was the hero. There's no hero of this movie and it doesn't have to have a hero, but it definitely has to have someone that I click with or emotionally identify with in such a way that I root for them in one way or another, even if that means killing all the the other murderers.
0: Yeah, it's weird. It's like it's predictable in an opposite way. Traditionally, it's predictable because the good guys win. And this was kind of predictable in the sense that you knew all the bad guys were going to lose. And they were all kind of bad guys, even Tom Holland to a certain extent.
1: I asserted the same thing. Just because he has a more of a moral compass doesn't make him less of a potential murderer.
0: Yeah. So I guess there you got it. A whatever from Wes, a boring from Iris. That's our review of Murder All the Time, a Netflix original film now available on Netflix. What else you got, Wes?
1: You do know you called it Murder All the Time, right?
0: <laughs> or whatevermovies at gmail.com, 818 834 8765 let us <laughs> hit us up on our hotline i thought this was a fairly good discussion Wes, what do you think
1: 818 835 now from memory <laughs>
0: i think you need to be in charge of the phone number going forward thanks for listening and we'll see you next
1: time <laughs> murder 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 ElectriCast. Transform your influence. ElectriCast. ElectriCast.